play the first Coast to Coast Pick 5, featuring a sequence from Gulfstream Park in Florida and Santa Anita Park in California every Saturday and Sunday. Both the $1 minimum and 15% takeout are very player-friendly. Players can bet on track or online, usually listed as a separate track in your ADW. Just look for Coast to Coast Pick 5 in the drop-down. If you play on First Bet or Express Bet, you can get a free $10 bet on the Coast to Coast Pick 5 on select days to participate. Do not forget to register for the promotion. Get the Pick 5 sequence, expert analysis, free pass performances, and more at InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash coast. And be sure to check the podcast we'll be doing every Saturday and Sunday for this new special bet. That URL once again, InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash coast. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for Tuesday, February 7th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again, and uh, very happy to be joined, as I have been so much lately, on these recap shows by a man whose work you know from InTheMoneyPodcast.com, from behind the mic at uh, Sam Houston, all over these airwaves, really, coming to us from the planet Texas. He is Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? Doing great, my friend. Glad to have another week in the books on the uh, Derby Trail, and now we're, are, we're really building up steam. Yeah, the things are getting pretty interesting in the next few weekends. And I want to definitely start the show with an update on where we are. But I did want to point out first that uh, our friend and colleague, Jonathan Kitchen. Now, granted, I believe there was a scratch that left him with all but one horse in the Sunday coast-to-coast pick five bet. But uh, for approximately the 87th time in his horse playing career, he would have had that pick five if he hadn't done the old all but one runner. Uh, oh no! <laughs> Oof. Was that a Santa Anita leg or a? Yeah, it was a Santa Anita leg. It was, hmm. uh, and it was a tricky. It was tricky, but it it, uh, it just it makes me laugh every time. But he'll he'll uh, he won't he won't be persuaded that the all but one isn't a winning strategy. Yeah, <laughs> that one's tough. <laughs> Let's start with the big figure three-year-old winner from out on the West Coast. Newgate getting the job done and looking pretty good in the process. A hundred buyer speed figure under Frankie DeTori. And, you know, the cynic in me sees beats hard to figure by a neck and says, is this, is this really right? But, I mean, the clock is the clock. And, and I think, you know, from the, the, the little poking around I did, this looked like a, a legitimate three-digit buyer speed figure, something that's been in short order among this class so far. You know, it was just the four-horse team scrimmage. But what did you think of Newgate overall? You know, I think it was a it was a solid performance. You know, you – look, you have to wonder about what exactly was going on with some of the pre-race machinations as far as all four horses being from the same barn. It felt like everybody was ridden kind of to plan. And, um, and the disappointment in there was Rabian Lion, who's – debut race now exists in La La Land because he's just not duplicated it at all. And, and his, his good second at Keeneland is not looking so good anymore. So that, you know, really gave way to Newgate running well. He was coming off a good effort in the sham. A horse that Bob Baffert seems to be willing to run pretty frequently. Um, and he's kind of running him back, racing him into to some type of form. So, you know, he looked solid. It held up well on the clock. Um, it didn't look as if it was 
subject to any type of track bias as last year's Messier win in this race was. So, yeah, I think you want to take it as a, a pretty legitimate race. And, you know, hopefully we see some resolution to whether Baffert horses are going to be able to run in his name or whether they'll have to be transferred. That way we can talk about these races with a little bit more confidence as far as what exactly is going to happen. But, you know, I think regardless of the name in the trainer column uh, on a horse like this, he's a horse that deserves a lot of attention as far as the derby trail goes. Is that uh, some more legal wranglings that are going on? I mean, if things go to the letter of the law, as stated, they would have to switch like last year, but there, there's something going on. I, I haven't been following the story well enough. Do you, do you have any update on what they're trying to get accomplished to see if they can run in Baffert's name? The last I saw, there was a hearing for an injunction that would allow them to stay in Baffert's name. Right now, as it's, as it's set out by a CDI, they have to be transferred to a different trainer by February 28th. Oh, so, interesting. So it's not yeah, just so for the last prep. Not just for the last prep. So oh, that would be, you know, Newgate, you would imagine is probably on a one more prep and that's it type of, of situation looking at the Santa Anita Derby. But, you know, the, the runner up, you could see running twice more. Um, Arabian Night at this point feels like he's probably going to run twice more, maybe just once more. But yeah, either way, these horses are going to have to be transferred as it stands right now. Um, but obviously with an injunction that could change. So I guess we'll find out, you know, the next few weeks, but of course we're going to be dealing with another future wager this weekend where all of the Baffert runners at this point are excluded. Right. And they'll be in that they'll have their category. You'll have to take them all in, in one, like we talked about the last time, a general handicapping question for you before we get to where you think Newgate compares to Arabian night and, and Forte at this stage. But the general question is, you know, as a time man, as am I, when you see that hundred figure, but it's earned under, I don't want to say dubious, that's too strong, but it's earned under these unusual circumstances of forerunners and, and, you know, beating a horse that had never run anywhere near that fast, like hard to figure by only a neck. Do you, how literally do you take that hundred the next time when Newgate shows up? Good question. Um, I mean, I think it's one that you kind of want to be careful with. You kind of want to see him duplicate it. It looks, though, as if if there was a trend, he's going the right direction. That's for and sure. He did run a faster race in his three-year-old debut, so he's going the right way. He is an atypical Baffert horse in that he was kind of just an average two-year-old, and, and he's getting better now as a three-year-old. So um, we generally don't see those types all that often. Usually they show themselves pretty quickly from that barn. So I think you want to you want to believe that it's it's good and you want to see him do it next time out. The thing is, there's just really nothing. You know, when Tabor won the Santa Anita Derby last year and got a fast figure and just a second start, there was something sexy about Tabor, right? I mean, we knew he had a ton of upside because he'd only run twice. And here he took this giant step forward. We've kind of seen Newgate. You know, his form is pretty, I guess you could say exposed. But, um, you know, he's a horse that we've seen run on a regular basis. We know he's... Good, not great. He's probably one that can take a little bit of a step forward. And I think it's fair to kind of demand that he does. Would you rate him in behind Arabian Night and Forte then confidently at this stage? Definitely. Yeah, definitely behind those two. Um, he's just done nothing at this point to really indicate that he deserves more billing than those two. I understand Forte needs to run as a three-year-old to really get a sense of where he is. I guess maybe we're looking at that happening in the Fountain of Youth um, and, and the sooner it happens, the better. So, yeah, I mean, he's not quite at Arabian Nights level, in my opinion. I understand he ran a faster figure than Arabian Knight did, but give me Arabian Nights 97 in just his second career start over. It's kind of a similar situation to what I'm saying about Taba over Newgate's 100 now in, in having had multiple starts. 
One other horse that's on the top of a lot of lists is Cave Rock. Do we know if he's back on the work tab yet? Even what what are we running out of time for him, or is has this been the plan uh, f- from the Baffer camp? I mean, I don't think that not having a, a logged workout by yeah, you know, February is according to plan. So, I mean, I'm no trainer, but um, <laughs> and I think I just I just saw this morning somebody say you know has has cave rock actually logged the workout and i don't believe he has so i think i think what's going on behind the scenes is that something something is clearly not right with cave rock um i think that seems somewhat certain at this point and i'm just looking up to verify that but yeah it's that's a little disconcerting and um you know tack on the fact that we all kind of thought coming out of last year he might have some distance limitations anyway now you're now you're officially supposed to be concerned yeah i think that sounds about right and it's interesting it feels no like work. no workout okay. we have it and and baffert you know i mean i guess he feels uh embattled it doesn't feel like we're getting the same amount of information out of the barn that we usually get it feels like he's you know cagier than 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 usual under the under the circumstances one of the things i just want to underline we talked about it already a little bit with newgate but you know the storyline of the tory having a, a derby match now surely well maybe not surely very likely even if he doesn't have a horse he's been riding you'd think he'd be able to pick something up for a race like the kentucky derby if he's committed to to riding here for it but i like the storyline of him having a horse that he's been with throughout this uh throughout this process and you know, just as a racing fan, I feel like it'd be very cool to have him uh, back in the Derby with with a horse that he's uh, that that he's ridden before and th- that he's connected to. Yeah, I mean, internationally, nobody has as much fame as, as Frankie um, here and abroad, and so I think, I mean, it always felt to me. I don't know if you felt similarly, but the whole purpose of this exercise was to get a Derby now. I mean, it yeah. seemed like a, like a, you know, that was the whole reason he was doing it. That was the whole reason why he found Ron Anderson and, um, or used Ron Anderson. And so, yeah, no surprise there. Um, I'm kind of, I'm glad that he, that he's done it. Um, He's riding very well, all things considered. I mean, he's, he's certainly not riding like somebody that should be retiring soon, but um, you know, he is certainly getting on in years. He is 50, do you know, 50, early fifties. I was going to say 52. I do know when his birthday is because it is December 15th. Just like mine, I just don't know what year. I mean, he's definitely That's a few cool. years before me. That's a cool yeah. birthday, buddy. Yeah, he's a little older than me, but not much. And I'm and I just yeah. hit fifty, so I'm I'm gonna guess I'm gonna guess fifty two for Frank. He's been so good, you know. I mean, talk about being at the top of the top of the heap internationally for all those years. So yeah, I mean, at the very least, you see what some of these international guys and you and I could go down a rabbit hole on this, but what some of these international guys have said over the years about the Derby and I mean, Ryan Moore's ridden in, in basically every big race in the world, and he said nothing comes close to riding in the Derby. <laughs> It's going to be interesting to see. Sometimes, you know, a lot of jockeys with that word retire, I feel like they're not exactly they don't they're not exactly clear on what it means given how many comebacks we have, but Frankie does sound pretty serious about this one. I I sure wouldn't mind having him around for a little bit longer, but we'll enjoy it while it lasts and this will be a great uh a great chapter in the story, hopefully, if we can get him on a live Kentucky Derby mount. That's going to involve uh, Newgate showing that effort last Saturday was for real and even improving on it, not out of the question. Let's move over to the East Coast and South Florida specifically and talk about Rocket Can winning the Holy Bull for the white hot <laughs> Bill Mott. I, I would describe this as a good news, bad news situation, Nick, with the good news being 
the horse uh, got the job done and uh, the impressive win visually, I suppose, at the graded stakes level. Not super impressive, but, you know, w- a winning effort is a winning effort in a graded stake. But the clock, neither the eye nor the clock love this race. Comes back just an 82 fire speed figure, the kind of thing you wouldn't be surprised to see a two-year-old at Saratoga get when we're talking about February of the three-year-old year. Um, again, as a figure-oriented player, very tempted to take the skeptical view of this one. Am I underselling uh, Rocket Camp? No, I think up there in Horse 7, they woke up Holy Bull and he said, uh, let me look at the field. He saw it and said, nah, I'm, I'm going to rest. But uh, I, I, it was not. It was more like a holy calf. But um, it was not very impressive on paper. I mean, the funny thing about it is really it, it didn't look like a good race on paper. And it played out exactly that way. Now, I people will hear me say that and say, well, you were the guy who mentioned Rocket Can a few weeks ago as one that you would maybe place a, a future wager on. The only thing that you're saying for Rocket Can at this point is that he took the worst of it the whole way around there and stayed on. And, and he might be a horse who really is helped by distance. So, I mean, we have seen a very clear move forward in this horse once he got more ground. And, um, you know, could there still be some upside? Yeah, I think there could still be some upside. I mean, I, I basically look at this as his third career start because he just became a new animal going two turns. The problem is that this was supposed to be where his figures pushed towards the 90s. And it just didn't. It, it wasn't very fast. Now, the only caveat to me is that these days, these types of days at Gulfstream are virtually impossible to make figures. This okay. was the only two-turn race. It was the 12th race on a day where I think there were a grand total of four dirt races. The Every one of them was around one turn otherwise. It's very hard to make figures on these days. The other thing that you have to deal with here is, I mean, do you really think Shadow Dragon improved by, you know, 20-something points? I know that that he was bolstered by simply breathing the same air as looms boldly in his debut. But, you know, it's hard to believe that that horse took such an immense step forward. Now, at the same time, I mean, you want to break the race down as much as you possibly can. And like I originally said, I mean, the other pace horses were nowhere to be seen. So, you know, it's that is something that you do have to at least keep in mind. One thing I, I like about Rocket Can is that he's a mod horse and now he's going to dance every dance. Right. He's going to run twice more. We're going to know exactly what Rocket Can is in the next six to eight weeks. And that's good because we'll benefit from it. And um, and yeah, we'll see how exactly how it shakes out. But at this point, I mean, you would have absolutely would have wanted a little more out of this. I was tickled by Shadow Dragon, the horse that uh, won in that pace collapse in the Looms Boldly debut running second at a gigantic number. But yeah, I mean, you know, uh, we're talking about New York bred, uh, New York bred maiden versus a graded stakes field for three year olds in, in February. It does. It does make it feel like it wasn't the fastest race in the world, but I'll take the form boost anyway. I'll take the form boost for, for Looms Boldly. We should talk about the, the no show of the race cyclone mischief. I'm the usually the last guy. I feel like bounced is the most overused and lazy excuse, but something happened that was out of bounds. And, you know, I, I feel like it's you're either going to go bled or you're going to go bounce. Cause that, I mean, that race previously, that allowance race, January 8th was a very good race. It was good on the clock. It was good on the eye. And, and here he just, he went away so tamely something went wrong. W- would you put yourself in, in either of those camps bounced or bled or, or do you think we were just wrong about this horse heading in? What, what's your thought? I I'd lean towards the LASIK situation. Um, you know, when one horse has kind of one 
breakthrough performance in a in a four race stretch and it happens to be the only one where they use Lasix, it looks to me like that's probably the explanation. And uh, now this is his second graded stake try without Lasix where he performed poorly. I, I will I don't want to pin too much of it on him. I did not like Tyler's ride. When you break like that horse did, you do not grab that horse's head and start to take them back. So even if Dale told you I want him to raid, I want him to be off the pace, I mean that's one of those situations where I think when you hop off, you, you're better off apologizing to him and saying, hey, I thought I, I gave him the best chance to win because he popped right out of the gate. And then it was clearly by intention that they were going to take him back. And what he ended up doing was eating a ton of dirt and, and he was stuck kind of wedged in between horses. The problem, as you alluded to, is that, you know, when the real running started, he just his tank was empty. Nothing. So you worry a little bit. I mean, maybe he came back a little too quickly. He came back in four weeks, you know, 27 days. It shouldn't be that big a deal. You're talking about a, a still a relatively lightly raced three-year-old. So um, his cup of coffee on the Derby trail is probably just that. Um, but, you know, he'll. a lot of people will give him one more shot. Um, I, I'd look for him in a situation down the line where he can get Lasix again. It's these are interesting points. I mean, it was a bad trip. He was just never in any good position. I think you're probably right about the tactical error, but just I wasn't going to forgive. I wasn't going to give that excuse in a slow race where so little was shown. It wouldn't shock me if Dale Romans persisted. I mean, if he if he believes this was just a a one off. But I do think the Lasix concern probably keeps me from uh, wanting to be forgiving unless the price is just huge. So it would shock me if Dale doesn't persist. Right, right. Let's talk about the most impressive three-year-old uh, on the on the card. Three-year-old Colt, but probably three-year-old in all on the card coming out of that allowance race a little bit earlier on. Halfway through I uh, that, that race, I wasn't sure what uh, Tapatrice, Tapatrice, I want to call him Tapatrice too, but I'm pretty sure it's Tapatrice. It looked to me like his uh, stablemate Shesterkin was the one who was holding the cards as they turned in, but that was a heck of a stretch run from uh from Tapatrice and ends up scoring with a 92 buyer speed figure that uh that that if anything to me feels maybe like it's a little bit uh, a little hair low even I was very impressed with this performance and this is certainly one who's going to press on uh, would he have won the holy bolt in a canter I mean, I, I think he would have won for fun. I'll tell you the thing about him is that, you know, he kind of has that Todd Pletcher profile of a, a long striding, grinding type of horse that um, a, clearly Luis Saez was on a mission to get him outside. And once he did and he was comfortable, you know, he covers a ton of ground and he had a lot more tactical speed on Saturday than he had in either of those two starts in New York. So I thought it was very, very interesting that Todd ran Shesterkin and, and tap it T in this in, in a non you know not in the holy bowl i kind of figured one i get it with shesterkin i mean maybe he looks like he might be a little bit more distance challenged but i mean i would have figured if he was bringing tapit t out of of new york he'd run him you know he'd run him in the holy bowl right it just would was the only thing that made sense i mean maybe he wanted to see one more race to see exactly what you know what's under the hood todd also now has to sort out where he's going to run this horse and uh, where he's going to run Forte. I mean, the other thing that maybe, maybe it gives way to is that Todd didn't want to run in the Holy Bull and then back up for the Gotham and then stretch back out for the Wood or something like that. You know, maybe this horse now becomes a Louisiana Derby horse. I wonder if they'll give him one shot to get to the Derby or two. But you know, either way, and we talked pretty extensively about him in, in previewing the Derby Future Wager. He's got a great pedigree. Um, he's got the right trainer, and I'll tell you what, he may not win the Derby. 
but he is the future book favorite for the Belmont, in my opinion, by a mile. I mean, this looks like Mo Donegal on steroids to me. Um, he, he's not, you know, Mo Donegal had accomplished more by this point than, than he had, no question about it. But I love the way this horse moves, and and I think uh, I think he's got a real opportunity to get good uh, going even longer. So, I mean, he came home, you know, I, I understand it was a, it was a soft trip in that the pay, first quarter was slow and he had a great position on the outside, but I mean, you know, there was a moment in upper stretch where Pete Aiello was kind of setting the stage for it to be a little bit of a showdown. And then you look five seconds later and he's like four lengths in front. And I mean, I know his stable mate was decelerating a little bit, but I mean, he really finished. I, I thought it was a really nice effort. Yeah, he put it to bed rather quickly when it looked like it was going to be a tussle there for a, for a second, for sure. And he also, to me, and this is such a good point you make about the Belmont, he did that He did that long-distance horse thing that they do where he, they come off the bridle kind of early, but they just they just find so much from, yeah. that, uh, from, that, from that circumstance. I, it, was, uh, it was impressive, for sure. And I wonder if, and we, we'll, we'll have to, you know, see what, Todd Pletcher says about this, but I wonder if running them in the allowance rather than the Holy Bull suggests that he felt like they're going to come forward for this, that they weren't quite at, you know, quite ready for that in his mind for the graded stakes test. And if, if that's not tipping the hand that there might be more under the hood for both of these runners, we'll, we'll, we'll read the tea leaves going forward and see, but very, very impressive effort while we're talking about three-year-olds. Uh, let's talk about the forward gal, three-year-old filly, red carpet ready. We've talked a lot about Oscar performance on these airwaves for our friends at, at Mill Ridge. And I thought this was a very nice effort and, uh, and and very interesting because it feels like a lot of the Oscar success to this point has come on turf. Interesting to see him have uh, such a good dirt runner in this division. Yeah, I'll tell you what, and hats off to the ownership as well as uh, Susan Moulton, owner of And the Winner Is. They're really, they're using these Oscar performance names very well. So I'm a big, <laughs> big fan of the name Red Carpet Ready. Um, but, you know, all kidding aside, she has now been really good in all three starts. And, uh, you know, the filly that she beat in that stake race at Churchill Key of Life is good. And she had looked very good prior to this. The other thing about this forward gal performance is that, you know, I think she took everybody's best shot. I don't think anybody that was supposed to run well in there was compromised. I mean, it ended up being a very formful race, all things considered. But um, undervalued asset had been a solid maiden winner at uh, at Aqueduct, and she took up, you know, she took her best punch around the turn and sort of left her behind. And atomically was in position and just couldn't quite get it done. Um, probably more of a you know a lesser graded stake type, maybe better going long. So I thought it was excellent. You know, I don't know where she'll top out distance wise. But, you know, what we know right now, and there's nothing wrong with it for, you know, for her ownership or anybody that's a fan is that she's very good around one turn. So, you know, there are a ton of great opportunities for one turn fillies later on in the year. And, um, and, and if it ends up that maybe she doesn't want a little extra ground, then I think they could settle on her being a horse that makes it to the eight bells and even the elongated acorn at a mile of 16th or something like that. I mean, as it stands right now, you have to give her a shot to get to the Oaks and she deserves it because uh, she's been very, very good. And I was impressed story to follow going forward a couple other races from the weekend i want to ask you about and then if you had anything you wanted to throw in there but the tampa bay stakes i thought emmanuel i'll uh, red board a little bit i thought it was a pretty darn good price at the six to one or so ends up getting the job done with a 98 buyer speed figure and this is a horse who it felt like another interesting one for pletcher interesting that he um had the opportunity you know with the wide openness of the dirt uh division for older horses decided to keep this one on grass and 
to me, in this wide open division domestically, looks like a major player going forward. Uh, beat beat some decent horses and uh, and and comes out of it with a enhanced reputation. I think. Yeah, and I think did it in a way that you you know you're a little compelled to to think you know maybe he's taken a pretty clear step forward. Um, you know, hadn't really been too successful rating off the pace. At least it felt like his best races were going to come with him kind of being a little bit more engaged early. So it was a solid effort. I mean, uh, you know, Todd Pletcher's numbers with horses off of layoffs of any type have always been very good. So it's not surprising in the least that he ran as well as he did. I wouldn't have thought halfway down the backstretch that he was a particularly likely winner. It looked like he was, you know, he was maybe trying to keep up. They were going fast. The pace was very strong. So, uh, yeah, you know, all all things considered, he looks like a horse that you know, will end up in some good races now moving forward. This division is a little it gets a little wonky as far as now until Derby Day. But I mean, you could maybe see him in, in like the Muniz or something like that at fairgrounds. I don't know what their turf situation is there. Um, so you, you, I would imagine that, you know, he'll be pointed to all of the the real grade two, grade one, grade two races, you know, at, at middle distances. Stable may charge it made the return to the races. Speaking of play Pletcher layoff runners on Sunday, the free square in the start of that coast to coast uh, cruising in at uh, one to five or so and earning a, I think you said, you told me off air one Oh two buyer. I thought that was pretty good. That would, that would have been higher than I, I might've guessed um, looking at it, but that would, that would be pointing him very much in the right direction um, in this, in this, completely wide open older horse division you know we got Taba obviously but he's going to be um traveling for a while charge it sure looks like he might have some valuable prizes next to his name before too long yeah todd came out afterwards and said met mile and whitney are the targets um oh can we get Taba and charge it in the gate for the met mile boy would that be you know we don't have we we hardly have any good horses out there. I mean, they might as well run against each other as soon as possible. I see that Taba is likely for the Saudi Cup. I didn't. I didn't see that it might be a Saudi Dubai double. So, I mean, what that leads me to believe is that they'll probably come back after the Saudi Cup, and then I would imagine that that Baffert would look to a race like the Met Mile. The I think timing could work. The timing could be perfect, right? Because then you know, from there you're you're eligible for. Delmar or the Whitney, depending on what they want to do. So, yeah, I mean, that would just be incredible. So, I mean, I guess they'll probably kind of take it easy with charges. I mean, it is early February. So you're talking about races that are in, you know, early June and early August. So we're going to have to see him at least once more before a race like the Met Mile. I mean, do they keep him on ice until the Westchester? That seems unlikely, but You've got a lot of possibilities there. I mean, he could go around two turns in in New Orleans. He could go to Oaklawn. He could run in New York in a in a, a race like the Carter. If if Todd wants to shorten him up to seven furlongs, I don't know really if he's going to want to do that. But you know, one thing we know is that we desperately need good horses, and Charge is a good horse. Yeah, I, I I'm very happy to have him back. He's that he's the one we talked about him on these airwaves with Todd Pletcher before he ever ran, and he was super excited about him, and he's you know, delivered on that promise in, in fits and starts. And, but you know, this could be, this could be his year potentially. So excited to watch him as we move along. I did also want to give a quick word on the Palos Verdes one by Hopkins who had run that he was in that Shaz maiden that had the giant figure and um, had shown a little bit here and there. But what I liked about this effort was his ability to truly settle and pounce 
it was came back at 97 on the buyer scale. So needs to get considerably faster if you're going to be thinking about a long-term target like the Breeders' Cup Sprint. But, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out, would you? No, I mean, given the state of the sprint division, I wouldn't rule anything out. Um, I think he's a horse that that probably deserves some real consideration. Um, you know, a lot of good sprinters from last year are gone, right? There's no more Jack Christopher. There's no more Jackie's Warrior. Cody's Wish is probably going to be a little more geared towards the longer distance races. So, yeah, I mean, this is a horse that I'm sure Bob Baffert would like to see everything get sorted out with Churchill Downs so that he can run him in the Churchill Downs on, on Derby Day. Um, with that being kind of a, a, an interim target. So I think one thing that he made clear in the Palace Verdes is he wants to stay shorter. He does not want to go two turns. And um, and that was made a pretty abundantly clear. Um, yeah, I didn't expect him to be favored or co-favored with straight no chaser. But boy, if you had let me know beforehand that how be it had no chance, then I probably would have handicapped the race a little differently. <laughs> I picked how be it too. I thought he'd get a great spot, but I just think like something went wrong there. It seemed like he just wasn't moving the way he normally moves. And took no money. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Maybe there was an indicate, maybe there was some hand tipping that there were, there, there were some vibes around, but yeah, I, yeah. I absolutely uh, whiffed on, on, on him as the top pick. I, I thought Hopkins would be the best to speed, had some savers, but the pick five, the pick five had already blown up. Um, anything else you wanted to talk about from last weekend racing wise or, uh, or looking forward, uh, we, we can go that direction too. We got some big stuff this weekend too. Yeah, no, excited about this upcoming weekend with the rescheduled Withers and the Sam F. Davis. Always fun to have the the good cards at Tampa. I mean, the, the uh, Sun Coast at Tampa is going to come up a really nice race with Wonder Wheel and Julia Shining running against each other. Yeah. So uh, two overrated horses squaring off, and we'll see, <laughs> we'll see which one reigns supreme. Don't be surprised if I look at door number three. Yeah, I was going to say, can we find a big long shot in there with those two taking 80% of the market? That's exactly what we're going to try. All right. I like it. We'll, we'll talk about these races later on. We'll have, we'll be covering uh, Tampa on the plus side. Maybe we'll get you involved in that conversation, Nick, and we'll bring back, uh, we'll bring back double R rich Averill, who it was a pleasure to have on. He had some good ideas for Tampa last Saturday. So we'll keep that, we'll keep that idea in the hopper and we'll, we'll bring it back later in the week, but uh, super fun catching up with you and uh, looking forward to doing it again soon. If you're watching on YouTube, um, we have a whole other segment on the show, but it's not going to be video. So go over to InTheMoneyPodcast.com or in the Money Media wherever you get your podcasts and hear me catch up with Mike Maloney. That's going to be a lot of fun talking about, um, you know, some of the challenges that professional horse players and serious horse players everywhere face these days. Uh, really looking forward to that chat and looking forward, Nick, to having you on uh, later in the week. Very much so. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Pete. Cheers, my friend. We're thrilled to be partnered with Qatar Racing. Qatar Racing is a subsidiary of Kipco, the largest sponsor in British flat racing. As a global racing and breeding operation, Qatar Racing Chairman Sheikh Fahad bin Abdullah Al Thani has created an expansive international sponsorship portfolio to include the Breeders' Cup and events like the Pegasus World Cup Turf. Qatar Racing has over 100 horses in training, many mares and foals, yearlings, and four top-class stallions, Kamiko, Zustar, Havana Gold, and Lightning Spear. Don't miss out on the great Qatar Racing action and learn more at www.inthemoneypodcast.com slash Qatar. PTF back with you. I'm calling an audible. We're going to split these shows into two so you can go uh, to the other file to listen to the Mike Maloney interview. We're going to wrap up this edition of the show thanking Nick Tamara one more time, thanking our friends at the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation and 10 Strike Racing as well. 
Most of all, though, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. We're going to thank Drew Coatney, the business manager here at In The Money Media, also the Breeders' Cup betting challenge champion. We're going to thank our chief creative officer, Jonathan Kinchin, JK. Appreciate all of your help. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatow. May you win all your photos. <laughs>